Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Ravenel Chambers. He is the Royal Television Society-nominated and multi-award winning director and producer of Social Impact Films. In 2009, Ravenel founded his own production company, Be Inspired Films, with the intention of helping those working for positive impact to bring their stories to life. Today, he works internationally with clients including Google, Oxford University, Nesta, TEDx London, to name just a few. He says, I am passionate about making a difference. And I believe that telling better stories will help create a better world. Ravenel, welcome. Thanks for having me, Katie. Delighted to be here. Great to have you too. So Ravenel, just starting off, really, what has motivated your career? Well, I think from a young age, it was kind of trying to make sense of the world and my place in it. Trying to find what it was that inspires me, what uplifts me, and ultimately wanted to try and make a positive contribution. and. Ultimately, then it's managed to be fortunate enough to have a career where I get to help other people to do that as well. And you founded Be Inspired Films in 2009, right around the time or just after the financial crisis. Why then and why a film company? Well, good question. I didn't actually choose it, as you would imagine, to do it at that time. I'd gone back to university to do an MBA and I was finished the MBA. And I was really, if I'm very honest, at a pivotal point. I didn't really know what I was going to do next. And uh, I saw the film Connection because in 1995, I was living in East Africa. I actually spent most of my 20s as a monk. And so I was living in East Africa, running some street, uh, some orphanages for street kids. And we made a film. And I never intended that, you know, I would be a filmmaker. I just wanted to, to showcase the work we were doing so that people might support us. And that's what happened. And I did the same thing again in 2003 when I was running mentoring programs for young people who were at risk of getting kicked out of education. So at this sort of pivotal point, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to make a difference and do something impactful in society. And I, I, I made that film connection. And that was how Be Inspired Films was started. Funnily enough, just to show you that I was uh, not so on the money and I was figuring it out. The first year, we called it Hoss Productions. <laughs> Embarrassed to say now. But actually, uh, then we sort of, as we got a bit more professional and formalized, we called it Be Inspired Films. And, and thus it was founded. You mentioned it was a financial crisis. It took me quite a few years to build it up, not only because it was a startup, but also I was just wanted to thank my wife. During that period, my wife was a primary school teacher and she was working and I was kind of studying and then kind of starting the business. And so really we wouldn't have got through that period if it wasn't for her enabling me that to have that freedom to sort of try it out and see, see if it would, would work. But ultimately, I, I could see there were so many amazing organizations out there and people and projects doing incredible work. They often weren't very good at bringing their stories to life, you know, in a way that could get more people to support them. And so ultimately, with Be Inspired Films, we started very humbly, and then we went on to win many awards, and also to find our tribe of uh, people amongst the, the B Corp movement. So in 2015, I think it was, we became one of the UK's founding B Corporations. And that's also where I met Zahid and Yvette, the founders of uh, Business Fights Poverty. And so that was uh, interesting for me because as a young man in my teens, I wanted to be a stockbroker. Then I became a monk. 
So my, my career sort of went backwards and forwards between this wanting to make a difference and also having a quite a business-focused and money-minded side to me too. And the MBA was a stepping stone in the middle because I studied venture philanthropy, which was bringing those two things together. That really excited me. And then ultimately now in the B Corp movement and many other movements, we're seeing that business and making a difference are coming together, which is really exciting given that there was a time where it seemed like that wasn't going to be the case. So looking forward, I mean, your films are all about communicating societal impact. We, these podcasts are here as much as anything to help others who are also trying to create societal impact. All about kind of peer-to-peer learning, advice to, to others in, that, in the network. What would you say are the kind of key ingredients to creating impactful communications in particular? What really generates action? When, how does it work? Well, I've got 10 kind of points, so I was having a little think about it. I think the first and most important, if you like, the North Star is just having clarity of purpose. So clarity of purpose as an organization, as a project, as an individual, to really understand what is the difference you want to make or what is the reason for your existence? What is it you're trying to change yourself? And then also clarity of purpose for the particular piece of communication, because oftentimes, obviously, a lot of people come and contact us and say they want us to create a video for them. And it's really helping them to understand where in the customer journey, the donor journey, whoever your audience is and and whatever that journey it is that you want to take them on, where does this piece of communication sit and what is its unique job? And that's a really helpful starting point because once you realize that it might be, say, just to ignite interest, get them excited, recognize there's a problem and want to make a difference, then the things like some of the detail and the sort of further steps they can take can come in the next part of the process, which might be when they get in touch or they come to an event or they go to a link, you know, the call to action. So once you really have that clarity of purpose yourself and then for the piece of communications, then all your efforts can be sort of focused in a better manner thereafter. You don't get distracted. The second point that I'd like to make is finding the hero in the story and making sure that the hero is not you. So sometimes as, a, as, a, as individuals or as organizations, especially if we're paying for a piece of content, we ourselves may feel it or there may be pressure from further up the, the sort of chain to make sure that it's all about us and we have to talk about we're doing this and we're doing that and this is our initiative. And, and, sort of, and sometimes I think that really sort of kills the, the effort. So if you can find you know, a person-centered story, ideally you know, a lead character or a series of characters, because we're all individuals as well, we really relate to personal stories and we can relate to people on screen who's going through the experience that then highlights the issue or the action that you want to take your, your viewer on. So finding the hero in the story and making sure it's not you is really, really important. The next one is looking for the emotion. So video and film animation is uh, very powerful when it comes to emotion more than facts. And figures. So there's other ways and better ways to potentially convey information or some of the facts and figures like websites, pamphlets, you know, book brochures, etc. But film is particularly powerful for emotion. So you really want to look for where is the emotion in the story. And I think there's a piece of research by an organization called Unruly, who help seed videos and get them out to audiences and help, you know, to get videos being shared and stuff. And they've done this research which says that the stronger the emotion in a piece of content, and obviously you choose an appropriate emotion, the more likely it is for someone to share it as a result. If you think about that, what is, why is it that people share videos? Are they sharing the video or are they actually sharing the feeling it gave them? 
because they want, oh my God, that made me feel like this. I want to share that with my friends, my colleagues, with other people who I think might be interested because I want them to get the same feeling. So look for the emotion in the story. And the next one is think about uh, tension because tension is a very interesting dynamic. It's, it's, it, we always are looking for resolution. So figure out it, whether it's a problem and a solution or something that's unresolved that then becomes resolved. That's a really powerful storytelling technique to, to build into the structure of your story. And so when you're planning your, your narrative, I always, so the next one, number five, is, is what I call the railway track. You've got the narrative, which is the story that makes sense on its own just by hearing it. And then how do we bring that to life visually? So the narrative and the visual, you're going to think about the two railway tracks and, and build up the story around those two things. Authenticity is talked about a lot and almost to the point where we're sort of saturated about hearing about it. So we could also use the word sincerity. So you want to put the story in the film through your own, uh, I'm going to call it BS sensor. We all know what, what I mean. Um, over and over to really sort of go, do I believe this? Is it real? Is it authentic? Is it sincere? And then keep it simple and succinct. You've got to be able to think about, so remove all jargon. Could a 10-year-old understand this? Could, could anybody get it without having to sort of think about it too much? And unfortunately, in the social media world that we're in today, you know, people's attention spans are getting less and less and less. So it's actually harder to make a shorter video than a longer one. So really, really keep your message succinct. Remove all the fluff. And it's an interesting thing. I often say an organization is both the best and the worst uh, person to tell their own story. Obviously, they're the best because they understand it well and they're inside it. But at the same time, they're often too close to it and they think so many different parts to it are important when, in fact, they may not be to attain the objective for the piece. And then just lastly, having a really clear call to action. So just understanding what is the change or what is the action I want my audience to take as a result and just letting them know, just making it easy for them. And then the very last one, number 10, is you know, to make sure that it's excellently executed. And the thing about that is, is obviously uh, budget. So it's either going to have to be money or it could be goodwill. But whichever the case, to really get a team on board who can uh, support you to make sure that your idea is executed really, really well. And all of those things, if you can manage to build them in, then I think it increases the chances a lot of you being able to have a bigger impact and you know, inspire your audience to make a change. So you work for organisations with a massive range of sectors, from banks mm. to housing association. What sort of trends do you see sort of affecting or driving those organisations' appetites to deliver societal impact? Definitely. Well, I think there are obviously organisations whose mandate is to try and drive social change, but there's also more and more organisations coming in, like bigger corporates and organisations who may not have typically been seen as part of that effort. And I think the main thing is that um, they're thinking about the future. I often um, quote a statistic that, you know, I think it's 85% of businesses don't last 10 years, and that's big or small. So, uh, you know, the Kodaks, the blockbusters, you know, because they don't, they fail to adapt. And I felt really fortunate uh, just this year, we've just passed our 10-year mark. So we're lucky to be and, and, and happy to be still, still going. But I think within that, thinking about the future, there's three main areas. The first is that, you know, the workforce of the future, the younger people, they're definitely more aware of and more motivated by ideas and issues like climate change, poverty, poverty, gender equality, and so on. And they want to work for organizations that are part of the solution, not part of the problem. And they're aware that, you know, especially if you work for a big company, they want a piece of you. You know, they want your 
sort of uh, time. And if you're going to be putting that much time and energy into something through you know, your work, you really want to be sure that it's not against the values that you have. So companies are, are really aware of this. They know that if they want to get the best young people, they must be aligning their values with a lot of the, you know, the big issues that are they're facing us um, today in society. I think the second one is a sort of a sense of enlightened self-interest. So we've been lucky enough to be part of filming some events for Business Fights Poverty. And one that springs to mind is the one they did recently with Acumen around the cocoa and chocolate supply chains. So big companies like you know, Mars, Hershey, and Unilever, they're talking about how they see the need to build uh, strength in their supply chains. So it's kind of that typical thing of, you know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So by building capacity and strength in farmers, say, for example, growing cocoa in Africa, big companies can both learn from them because of their local knowledge, but they can also then help those farmers to, to sort of have a better livelihood for them and their families in the region, which in turn, obviously, makes a more solid supply chain for the companies. So it's kind of good for business. It's also the right thing to do. So there's, there's that as well. And then the, the last thing, which also ties in with some of the work that we've been involved with with Business Fights Poverty, is this idea that we often think of big organizations, you know, we talk about corporates or we talk about the world of business as if it's just one big thing and everyone within it is the same. But actually, organizations are full of individuals. And, you know, each and every day, each of us, you know, where, however we get our news, we see on the world stage so many crazy things going on in the world. And we're asking ourselves many questions about the future of our planet, our society, and our role or the role of our organizations in, in all of that. And I think we're being forced to decompartmentalize uh, things as we might have in the past and realize that everything is connected and everything has an effect on everything else. And so ultimately, we, we need as individuals to be asking ourselves the question, what are we going to do about it? And then there's this idea of entrepreneurs that Business Fights Poverty, you know, Gib Bullock, the League of Entrepreneurs have been looking at around how then, if I become aware and passionate about that as an individual, can I, in, inside my company, try to drive some of that change and consider, you know, on the one side, what can we do to help, but also how can we by adapting to these and helping to solve some of these problems, become more sustainable, more profitable, and attract the best talent ourselves. So I think those are kind of the main sort of themes that I've seen around why more organizations are, are aligning themselves with purpose and trying to, to have a societal impact. So Ravenel, how is it setting up and running your own business, and particularly an impact business? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say, first of all, it's incredibly rewarding. It gives me a great sense of purpose. But, you know, there obviously are practical challenges. And I've, I've, um, been, I was just writing down some notes this morning. I have nine practical points, which I think hopefully will be helpful to anyone else who's either setting up or running a business, particularly with a social impact focus. So the first one, and this was one of my early mentors told me, is, you know, you've got to do excellent work. Now, it might sound obvious, but sometimes in the social impact space or whether it's social enterprise or whatever, there has been, at least in the past, that idea that, you know, oh, well, you know, we might not be the best or we might not be the most professional, but, you know, we're trying to do good. And so I was very adamant from the very outset that, you know, I never wanted, uh, if someone was to use us, it to be like a sympathy or a charity type purchase or commission. I wanted them first and foremost to always choose us because we did amazing work. So I think if you do amazing work, that you're sort of halfway there. 
The second point is about creating strategic partnerships. And I think I can't stress this enough. It's to figure out who are the people in your space that are really doing amazing work already, potentially have a, a big audience or a big community, and align yourself with them somehow by offering value. So in the early days for us, it was you know, doing work on a pro bono kind of basis for them so that we could become uh, partners and then get big visibility to, to, to that audience. And then in later life, as we become more successful and more well-known, then it's been where we've worked out deals where, you know, we might discount some of the work for them in order that, or sponsor, sort of part sponsor their, their work and their events so that we then are, are partners and, and visible in that way. So I think each partnership will obviously be different, but figuring out how you can leverage partnerships to, to sort of be more visible to your audience. The third one is learning how to understand the numbers and keep track of them. And, you know, I've always been pretty good with numbers, but I've seen sort of, sort of key changes, if you like. Uh, the more I've been on top of the numbers and more I've been paying attention to them. So it's not just how much money comes in, but looking at your spending and tracking and monitoring it, you know, it really can make a huge, huge difference to just being in business and then actually making a profit. Number four is getting your pricing right. And I think that can be a real journey. I remember the very first uh, meeting I went into as Be Inspired Films with uh, uh, a guy called Paul. He was the head teacher of a special school called Cherry Trees in the Midlands. And he, he wanted to do a video of this. And he said, how much would it cost? And to be honest, I really didn't have a clue. <laughs> I didn't even have a chance to think it through. I came up with something off the top of my head. And as time has gone on, you know, you start to learn more what are your costs, what you need to charge and so on and so forth. But getting a really good handle on your pricing structure is really important. Number five, as you can imagine, I'm not saying go out and make mistakes on purpose, but you know, inevitably, you definitely, you know, we all do make mistakes. And uh, that's totally fine. I think the key thing, I was going to first say learn the lesson, but first thing is find the lesson. Find the lesson in, in what has happened, and then really try and make sure that uh, you set new boundaries so that hopefully it doesn't happen again, or gradually, gradually, you can stop that from happening again. So it could be in terms of the agreement between you and a client, in terms of what the expectation or the agreement is around how many rounds of changes there are on a certain project and how those changes need to be delivered, and so on and so forth. And so by getting a better handle on that, you really can save yourself a lot of heartache going forwards. Six is to ask for help when you need it. I'm a, I'm a lone founder, if you like. I really wish in many ways I'd had a co-founder. Because sometimes it can be very difficult trying to do everything on your own. So whether that's a friend, a coach, or a mentor, just someone to talk things through with, or just on really practical things, it could be accounting, it could be like digital marketing, it's often really worth paying someone who's a total expert because they can help you get it done much quicker. You'll often learn a lot if you just sort of ask some questions and follow along. Sometimes you really only need them for a couple of hours, and it's, so it's really worth you know, getting that help when you need it. Number seven is protect your time, but also don't, you know, make sure you give back. So I'm always very enlivened. If so, a young person asks me for some advice or some help, I always want to give them some of my time. It's kind of, I, I, I just did it recently and I was reflecting and it's almost like, I feel like I'm giving my younger self that time by, you know, we all know if you've reached out to someone and they just never get back to you. So it's to try and give back and help, but at the same time, put a boundary around that as well to protect your time. And I think especially running a social impact business is really important to stick to your principles. That's your currency because as soon as you start to compromise them or whatever, then the, the strength of your offer in a way is weakened. So it's, it's, we've had been asked to do things that we've turned down and 
think it's really, really important to stick to your principles. And then the very last one is just to go all in. It's the, the typical things, you know, work really hard. You've got to be determined, focused, and really convinced about what you're doing and enthusiastic about it because it is hard. But at the end of the day, you've got to sort of, if it's something that inspires you and you want to go on that journey, go for it. Hopefully some of those tips have been useful because I've been through all the ups and downs of it. And just good luck to you. I think we need, the world needs more people who are, who are trying to do something that makes a difference. Moving on to our sort of final question today, mindful of your time, what are you most excited about in the coming months? Well, I've, I've, our normal work is we get commissioned to make you know, short form content. So typically it's sort of two to three minute pieces of powerful content to help our, our clients achieve a bigger impact. But I've been working on a project for the last three years, which is almost coming to an end, which I'm super excited about, which is my first feature-length documentary. So it'll be probably just over an hour and a half. And the focus of it is called The Road to Vrindavan. And it's, it's about the barriers that girls in India face in so many ways, whether it's from child marriage, sexual violence, to you know, lack of access to education. And um, I've done two month-long trips now in India. The first one was where I was invited on this 1800 kilometer tuk-tuk trip down the west coast of India to raise awareness and money for this this girls school in Vrindavan which is a rural village about four hours outside of Delhi and the the film essentially focuses on the story of two girls from there and the incredible journey they've been on to to fight for their education against all odds and parallel to that you've got my journey back to Vrindavan because I lived there 20 years ago when I was a monk and I, I spent a year there studying the ancient books of wisdom. And uh, it kind of, uh, our two paths collide, if you like, when we reach Vrindavan. And the journey is to better understand these challenges. What are the societal kind of structures that are in place that are meaning that the girls have these biases or these challenges? And also, I suppose my journey represents the, the journey of men and how, as part of the jigsaw, um, we need to engage men as allies to support this change. I think we should not just in India, but worldwide we're seeing and that we need to see where, you know, we have a, a fair and equal world for, for both men and, and women and girls as well. And Ravanal, if people wanted to see the documentary, how do they go about doing that? Well, this is where I'd love to ask your wonderful world of social impact people and change makers for a little help, if I may. Um, We'll be making the, putting, entering the film into film festivals internationally, so there may be a film festival close by to them that they can see it at. But we're also opening it out to people who are working in this kind of area or similar areas who might like to organize private screenings. So we have some already organized in Geneva, Montreal, Costa Rica, Dubai, um, and so where people can partner with us, show the film to their, to their community or their clients, and then potentially have like a, a conversation or a panel discussion thereafter. Um, we're also trying to ultimately get it on Netflix. So if anyone in the community knows someone at Netflix, uh, then I'd be so grateful if you could do an introduction. That would be amazing. And although we're so, so close to finishing the film, we still have a little bit to go. We're, we're finalizing the last uh, month or so of the editing, and we have to get it color graded and audio mastered and get all the graphics and everything sorted and music clearances and so on and then enter it into the film festivals and promote it so we're actually doing a crowdfunding campaign and um, which you can put the notes uh, you'll see the link in the notes but uh, if people feel inspired and they'd like to help and i'd be uh, incredibly grateful so that together we can get this over the line and try and 
you know, make a big impact and get this conversation going so more girls have uh, an equal opportunity and nobody is left behind. So there we go. If you want to get in touch with Ravenel, look at the notes of this podcast and we will happily connect you. Ravenel Chambers, thank you so much for your time today. Inspiring stuff, super informative. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, I also um, love the work that Business Fats Property is doing as a fellow B Corp and uh, really appreciate the, uh, the work we do together. So thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 